Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together to begin or continue our learning process. Help us to receive what we need to improve our skills, our abilities, as we are led by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Well, we're going to talk about how to prepare a sermon. Uh, didn't say about how to preach it, but how to prepare it. But we'll talk about those things. Um, I myself have been in ministry for 28 years, and the first person I saw preaching was my father. And when he was preaching, I noticed that he was not the same man I knew at home. <laughs> Something happens during the preaching moment that transforms, that transformed him, and will transform all of us. Would you say? Would you agree? Yeah. We're not the same, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, this is what we're going to cover the biblical basis for preaching and you don't need to take notes I've got notes for you okay I just want you to pay attention and if you want to jot that's fine uh, deciding what to preach how do you decide what to preach that's that's pretty hard okay the preachers main tool number five building the sermon number six sermon outline examples and discussion and some last words so in the short period of time, it might take you two, three, four years to really learn and master the craft. We're going to try to move through as quickly as we can. So hold your questions uh, until the end. We'll have time uh, to receive questions. All right, let's start with the biblical basis for preaching. And by biblical basis, I mean the foundation. Do we have any builders here? If you're going to build a house, you've got to dig out the footprint, put your steel and all the rest in. We've got to have a foundation to build that sermonic house. And what is that basis for preaching? All right. First of all, preaching was whose idea? God's idea. So whenever we preach, we are engaging in an activity that God himself came up with. In 1 Corinthians 1.21, it said, It pleased whom? God. By the what? Foolishness of what? Preaching to save them that believe. Isn't that something? Through this thing that happens on the pulpit, souls are saved. The lost are found. You know, the person who's addicted to drugs, when they hear the gospel through preaching, something happens inside of them. It was God's idea. Now, I think God is pretty good at coming up with some great ideas, right? Have you seen the flower lately? That was God's idea too. The sunset and the sunrise. And the preaching is just as marvelous as any of those God, other God's idea. Would you say? Absolutely. So it pleased God by the foolishness. Something that is foolish is just absurd. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. But through this thing, the Bible says that God is saving souls. All right. Preaching is one of the oldest professions. There's another older profession, but not as old as preaching, I don't think. <laughs> you know. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Peter 2, verse 6, that God saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. What was the first profession? What did Adam and Eve do in the garden? Gardener, that's right. Farmer, maybe. Okay. And, huh? Animal keepers. And I think among that list of professions, we find a preacher of what? Righteousness. So we have a keeper of the field, keeper of animals, and then we have the keeper of the word. Isn't that something? If someone needs a word from you because you're a preacher, you can deliver it. That's why Paul says we should be ready at any moment to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Now, we may not be preaching. It's a conversation. But here we, we, we are custodians of the word. So it was God's idea, preaching. Secondly, we see that preaching is one of the oldest professions. Thirdly, preaching was the essential work of whom? Of Jesus. He came to do a lot of things. But his main work was to what? Was to preach. Notice in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the whom? Poor. He hath sent me to do what? Heal the whom? 
brokenhearted, and then to do what? Preach what? Deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised and to do what? Preach the acceptable year of the Lord. See how many times preaching is here? Now the Bible says that by the word of one or two witnesses, everything should be what? Confirmed. We've got three here. So God is confirming the importance of preaching. It was the essential work. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And through preaching, the poor is reached. When we stand behind the pulpit and we preach, we motivate the members to acknowledge their God-given responsibility to look after the least of these. Inasmuch as you have done unto the least of these, you have done it unto, unto me. Okay? The brokenhearted are reached through preaching. Those who are blind, spiritually blind, they are reached through preaching. Those that are battered and abused. Uh, recently we had the case of um, Botham, that young man who got killed. And it was something to hear the response of preachers as it related to that situation. Calling people to being sensitive about the other person. We, you know, we may disagree which side we're on, but listen, you know, when a, when a young man is skilled and the family is hurting, the preaching takes on a whole new different perspective to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. See? So we see that uh, preaching was God's idea. We see that it, it's one of the oldest professions. We see that it was the essential work of Jesus. Then we see also that preaching is the essential work of disciples. So if we are followers of Jesus, then our commitment should be to do what Jesus did. Am I right? In Mark 16, and he said unto them, go ye into where? All the world and do what? Preach, Preach what? The gospel. the gospel to whom? Every creature. Okay? So, so that's our marching orders. Whether we are trained preachers. In fact, you don't have to be a trained preacher to preach. Um, we may not be evangelists, but the Bible says that we ought to still do the work of an evangelist. I'm not a carpenter, but every once in a while, you know, I'll get a, a saw, you know, and try to do a little thing. When I mess it up, I call the experts, hey, can you fix this? Am I right? So we are all called to do the work because we are disciples. And in Mark 16, he sent them in, in Mark 16, verse 15 through 16, in March, uh, Mark 16, verse 20. And they went forth and did what? Preach where? everywhere now this was God Jesus gave the instruction to a set group of individuals but it was not only for them it's also for us amen if you are a disciple you have a uh, responsibility to preach alright preaching is the preferred method to reach sinners now we can feed people soup give them soap but in order to give them salvation, you got to preach. And it doesn't mean that we have to be hammering them, you know, making them feel bad about themselves, you know. For whosoever shall do what? Call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Saved. But let's keep going further. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a what? So it seems to me that the fundamental beginning of being saved begins with what? The preaching and the hearing and responding to the gospel. So in a world that is lost, we need more preachers. Yeah, you know, I understand that there's, uh, they need more nurses. Okay? Nurses may help to make the body better, but the body could, you know, you could still be lost. You know, I prefer to be sick and be saved than to be well and be lost. So this is the most fundamental responsibility. How shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be what? Sent. Which means that there are those who preach who are not sent. Because they're preaching their own gospel. And there's no hope or healing in that gospel. But when, when, we, when we are sent by Jesus and supported by the Holy Spirit, when we preach, something happens inside of us. Huh? 
Mm. Preferred method to reach sinners. All right. So prelude to preaching. Okay. How do we start that process? When we get ready to preach or we are thinking about preaching, we ought to be mindful that we are walking on what? Holy ground. There's a difference between a lecture. Hmm? There's a difference between a speech. You know, if, I, if God has given me a message and I have preached and someone came to me and said, Pastor, that was a good speech. I have failed. I have dazzled them with all kinds of words and all kinds of flourishes. And they were enthralled by how I was able to put the words together and the different pictures and all the rest of it. But I have failed. It's not about the speech. It's about the speech giver, Jesus, I'm talking about. See? We're walking on holy ground. And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called unto him and said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For what? The place on which you stand is what? Holy ground. So we cannot take the preaching moment or the preaching act lightly. It's not a secular enterprise. You know, um, we can whip up a speech or a presentation to anybody and we do it and, you know, we receive art. This is not a TED talk <laughs> to inform your mind, your intellect. It's about trying to save the soul. And this is the difference. And so I recall when my father would, you know, uh, be assigned to preach, you know, he would shut himself off. You know, just like when the children of Israel got ready to approach the mountain, God told Moses to tell them, tell them to wash their clothes. Put a barrier around the mountain. So when we walk, we walk lightly because, again, this is holy ground. Amen. All right, so the pre prelude to preaching, realize that we're walking on holy ground. Next thing, we ought to pray. In fact, our lives should be just wrapped up and tied up and tangled up in prayer. Because the message to preach must be a part of us. Now, the opportunity may come a little later on, but we should always be ready to what? To preach. But how can you be ready if you've not been praying, which is praying is the direct line. It's a direct line to the throne of God where the messages are coming from. You see, if I just walk up there and preach, I'm preaching, I'm giving my own message. But if I really want to preach to help the lost to be saved, I've got to maintain a connection. You know, I love the picture of the, um, the old time operators. They would sit at that booth and they would have the wire and when there's a call, they would move. If you don't get that line connected, there's no communication. So we got to be plugged in to heaven, to the Holy Ghost, so that we can receive communication about what to preach, how to preach, when to preach, how to illustrate the sermon, all those things, because it's a spiritual enterprise. Then we've got to have a connection to the Holy Spirit. He is the agent to convict the heart. Look at this text in John 16. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will do what? Reprove the world of sin. Isn't that the purpose of preaching? And of what? Righteousness. Isn't that the purpose of preaching? To call your people to live a higher life on a higher plane? And of judgment. So... If he is the agent that's in charge of making sure that these things happen, that the sinner acknowledges his or her sin. Nowadays, we have people wanting to be accepted in their sinful lifestyle and be a part of the church and hold church office. That cannot be because the work of the Spirit says that his job is to reprove, to confront people about their sinful lifestyle. See, so if that is not front and center in preaching, we're missing the mark. People may join the church, but they join the church. They are tears, not wheat. And they look alike. Wheat and tears, they look alike. The difference is by their fruit. You shall know them. So we need the Holy Spirit to be a part. So we are praying. The Holy Spirit is part of the process. Bible study. We must be immersed in 
the biblical text in the word. Study to show thyself a proof unto whom? God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Doing what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. If I'm a carpenter, and I'm using this loosely, you know, um, I tried for some time to, to lay tiles. I'm, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I could, could have probably cut off my finger, you know. But I, I watched to see how, you know, you cut that tile to fit that little spot. You cut it too, too large, it's not going to fit. Am I right? Mm -hmm. The same thing with the Word. We, when we take the, the script, the manuscript, and we're reading, we need the Holy Spirit to show us how do you break this Word, you know, to, to present it to the person that it, so it fits that need. Now, the challenge in the preaching moment, if we have 15 people sitting here, there are 15 different types of needs. Everybody comes with their bucket. Some buckets are large. Some buckets are smaller. But they have come to receive a word from God. And when they walk out of the church, Elder St. Mark, their buckets need to be full. That's what happened with the woman at the well. She ran back. In fact, the Bible says she probably forgot her bucket, if I recall, right? Who can do that? I mean, who can assess a hundred people in a congregation and give each person what they need? That's the Holy Spirit. But that's by being in the Word as you Open that text. Before you open the text, Lord, lead me to that passage. What are you trying to say from this passage? And God will, just like Jesus took two loaves, he prayed, and he broke the bread. The Bible says that they all had, and there was so much bread that 12 baskets were what? Left over and collected. And so in the preaching moment, when we deliver the word of God, Every single person who has listened carefully to a word that has been given by the Spirit will leave full and satisfied. <coughs> Amen, somebody. Amen. All right. For us, the command is to preach the word. That's not a suggestion. Amen. It's a command. But notice what we are to preach. The word. There are a lot of preachers who are preaching self-help psychology. That's not the word. You know, some of these Sunday preachers, you listen in, you know, and you feel good about yourself. Tell yourself that you're going to prosper. Tell yourself you're walking in your purpose. Yeah, that's good. But now, you know, what we want is for the lost to be saved. Yes. Right? You can have all the money in the, in, the, in the bank and still be what? Lost. I prefer to be a pauper and be saved. So we've got to preach the word. Be instant, in season, and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Notice, people are not always going to be happy when you preach. Mm -hmm. I had a situation recently after I preached, uh, walked out of the church. This lady came. She was crying. Oh, I thought it was tears of joy. Oh, I was offended by what you said. Well, praise God. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize. Because the Holy Ghost knew that there was something in your life. And the Holy Ghost took the key of the word and opened that door. So to see that kind of response, that was me. I'm not able to evoke that kind of response from somebody. If you're in tears, you're overwhelmed with something that must have been an act of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So the word breaks us, and then the word builds us. But notice, with all long suffering. So be patient when you preach. You know, you may have to preach a few, you know, a few sermons on the issue, but eventually, they'll come. All right. Now, how do you decide what to preach? How do you decide what to preach? We got preachers here, uh, number seven on the scale of one to ten. <laughs> we have a 10? My wife said she was a 10. Uh -huh. <laughs> How do you decide what to preach? Anybody? The Holy Spirit, you pray? Yeah? You mean what topic Yeah, yeah. What theme? What text? Okay, sometimes you're given a theme. All right, that's good. That's good. Huh? All right, the needs. Okay, all right, let's take a look. What do you decide? How do you decide? Okay. Okay. We are guided by one principle. What does God want the people to hear? 
right? Because God's going to, God knows what each person needs. Am I right? And in that moment, in fact, I heard a pastor uh, said, when I preach, I'm preaching to two types of people. Those who are hearing it for the first time and those who will hear it for the last time. And the last time could be any of us. You know, who's guaranteed to be at church next Sabbath? Nobody. And so when I stand to preach, i got to realize some will hear it for the last, so I'm going to preach my heart out. So what does God want the people to hear? That's the main thing. God, what do you want the people to hear this week? Okay? What are the needs of the people? And God will impress your heart. Even if you're given a theme, within that theme, God will want the people to hear something. Amen? All right. So we're guided by one principle. Preachers are influenced by the times also. And God, God knows the times. Okay? Look at this. Chronicles 12. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. If anybody should know what to preach, it ought to be preachers. Because guess what? We're reading the Bible. And the Bible is reading like the newspaper. Right? Which is a fulfillment of prophecy. So when you see prophecies being fulfilled in the newspaper, ah, there is present truth. There's a truth, there's a message, there's a word for 2018. And it may be different from the word that God needed the people to hear in 2015. So the question is, what is God's truth for this time? Present truth. There is a word. So that's why, you know... Um, you know, I go places and I hear different words, different sermons. And, okay, it's not hitting the spot. It's got to hit the spot. It's got to hit the spot. Okay, so we need to know the times. Okay, preachers are open to multiple impressions from one source. And the Holy Spirit has different ways. God knew that for Moses to receive the word based on his background, Moses needed to see a bush that was on fire, that was not being burned. Because he was coming from Egypt. And they believe in mysteries. God knew, right, that Paul needed to have been knocked off his... Right? Because that's how he would hear. So, the point is, God has multiple ways. And again, the Holy Spirit is directing that's why we've, we've got to be open all the time. Do you realize that your ears are open 24-7? You can close your eyes right now and shut me out, but you can't close your ears. Come on, somebody say amen. <laughs> yeah, you can try, but you can still hear me. <clears throat> so, we can get ideas and thoughts from a book, from a sermon that we're listening to. Sometimes it's just one line in a sermon. Ah! A song or a devotion, a life event, maybe a wedding. You go to a wedding and you see something. Okay, and God is connecting that wedding, the way the husband shared his vow or whatever the story is. God has just hit something. Oh, okay, there's a sermon idea. A funeral, an accident, a graduation. Uh, a few days ago, a young man was riding to school on a motorbike, had an accident, truck crushed him. If I'm asked to preach... God will give me a word somehow. Not for him. He's gone. But for the family. What does God need the people to hear in that moment? That's the big question. <clears throat> Issues in the news, war, disaster, election, injustice, um, an assigned topic or theme. Okay? Impressions from many sources. Characters in the Bible, men, women, children, books of the Bible. Some people, you know, well, I want to preach on the book of, J of James. And even in the book of James, God will give you present truth. Even the book of Numbers. You know, I've not heard anybody preach from the book of Numbers. Hmm? There's a reason why it's in the Bible. Amen? If the Holy Ghost placed it there, you can preach and souls will be one crying. Huh? Because God, the Holy Ghost, knows how to pull from the text and to reach the needs of people, even in the book of Numbers. Amen, somebody. Amen. <laughs> All right. Holiday season. 
you know, this is, this is very important. Uh, sometimes there are events in the church, like say Mother's Day, and the pastor gets up and preach, preaches about the, the little horn in Daniel. Uh, maybe the little horn is a mother, I don't know. <laughs> but we've got to be relevant, amen? To the times globally, but also to the times locally and the times personally. See, everybody's thinking about their mother, and there are folks who have been separated from their mothers. There are some folks who don't know their mother, you know, and God is like a mother. Amen, somebody? Amen. There's a message there speaking to the times, speaking to the situation, being relevant. Memorial Day, Mother's Day, etc. Okay, so what do you know? How do you know what to preach? God is giving you impressions as you're praying, as you're reading, as you're studying. God is impressing on your heart. God, what do you want the people to hear? All right. Seasons of, of, of life or seasons of the year, God has a message for winter. Amen, somebody? Amen. God has a message for spring. Amen. Okay? A personal emotional need. You know, someone has lost a husband. You know, uh, someone has lost a child. Okay? Uh, crisis. There's a sunset. When you look at the sunset, God must have a word from the sunset. I heard a pastor preach, sermon title was, Life is Like a Sunset. Okay, how you, what are you going to do with that? And you know what the, the passage was? The two disciples walking from Jerusalem after the crucifixion of Jesus. We thought he would be the one to restore Israel. But what happened? They killed him. And so they're walking with their heads down. Jesus joins them. That's what life is like. But guess what? There's always hope. Hmm? And I'm going to talk about that. Every sermon needs to end somewhere with Jesus. Amen. They reached the table. He blessed the bread. They saw his hand. All of a sudden, life now is like a sunrise. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. See, you can preach that now. You can milk that thing. Hmm? They didn't eat. The Bible says that they left the bread and they ran right back. Come on, somebody. Amen. All right. All right. Okay, the main tool. What's the main tool for preaching? The Bible. Absolutely. See that word coming out? The Holy Spirit placed there. Okay. So how do you begin the process? That's a tool. After God has given you all these impressions, you're praying, the Holy Spirit is impressing your heart, you've been living your life, and God is giving you present truth to speak to the times, you go to the text. Okay, whatever issue or theme or subject, you go to the Bible. You've got to go to the Bible. Okay? You identify all the passages on that subject, if it's love, if it's peace, if it's uh, the resurrection, you know, don't be lazy. I would go to the Bible, and now it's easy. You've got uh, concordances, you've got Bibles. In fact, you know what? <laughs> you don't have to buy a software to find out all the passages about peace in the Bible. Go to the tree of knowledge, otherwise known as Google. Come on, somebody. <laughs> yeah, just go to Google. Uh, Passages about peace in the Bible. It'll give you some passages. May not give you all of them, right? You take all those passages, okay? And you select one as your main text, okay? Now, for me, you know, sometimes a person may choose the whole passage. That's just too much material to handle, you know, within 20, 25 minutes. So, for me, I like one main passage, okay? Reflect on that one passage, look at the context, what has been said before, what has been said in the passage, and what has been said in the post-text after. That's what they call the context. Okay? Now, for those who have not studied Greek or Hebrew, the easiest way to kind of get a better understanding is to read that text, that passage, in different translations. All right? Read in different translations. And again, you can find all those translations on the internet. And it opens up your mind. Oh, I didn't understand what that word meant. Oh, now I, now, now I do. Then select the most powerful supporting text. So you have chosen your main text. And then from all the text about that particular thing, you have supporting texts. All right? And God is going to tell you what text to use at what point in time. Okay? Then you study keywords in the text, in that main text. 
Okay. Um, the foolishness of preaching. Okay, what does foolishness mean? Absurd. The absurdity of preaching. You know, so you go to, in fact, again, you can go to Google. What does, what's the word for foolishness in Greek? That's, and you know, this is the layman's way. Now, in the original language, you pass, you pull out your, your Greek Bible, you find the original word, the, you know, and you look at the derivation of the word, what tense is it in, what's the mood, what's the voice, all these kinds of things. But for the regular people like us, you know, what does foolishness mean? All right. Identify the theme that you will be covering. Is that a part of the second coming, a part of a family, the judgment, whatever the story is? Take the purpose of the sermon. Um, so you have your text. You have all the text relating to it. You have studied the key words in the text that most people don't understand. Right? And after, when you're ready now to start preparing, what's the purpose of the sermon? You need to write it out. The purpose of this sermon is to, to do what? It keeps you focused. You know, when you get ready to, to travel to Cahada Springs, okay, you chose, if you're coming from Atlanta, the 285, the 75, the 2, whatever, you had some, you, were, you knew where you were going, right? You got to know where you're going. And state the aim. At the end of the sermon, what do you want the people to do? You got to have an appeal. All right, let me keep going. <clears throat> Okay, how do you build a sermon? It's crafting the sermon. Jesus could have gotten up and just speak, and everything is done. But for us, we've got to build. A sermon is a living what? Organism. It has a head, a body, and feet. Otherwise known as introduction, body, and... <laughs> right. Okay, let's look at this quickly. Now, for me, personally... After I've read the text, done the keywords and all the rest of it, I gotta have some kind of topic. Okay? What does the topic do? It attracts the listener's mind. I recall E.E. E. Cleveland. Anybody ever heard that name? One of the foremost evangelists. He had a sermon uh, topic Adam's mother's birthday. What? Adam had a mother? Did Adam have a mother? Yes, he did. God made him from where? The earth. All right? So the sermon was the birthday of the world. What's the birthday of the world? The Sabbath. Okay? It attracts the listener's mind. It intrigues the listener's curiosity. It stirs the listener's imagination. It summons the listener's attention. And it summarizes the preacher's message. In that thing, Adam's mother's birthday, man came from the earth and the, the, the birthday was on the seventh day of the week, which happens to be the Sabbath of the Lord. So on every Sabbath when you come to worship, you're celebrating Adam's mother's birthday. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so you have your purpose again. Well, well, again, the topic is very important. You have your purpose and you have your aim. Okay, a captivating introduction. If you don't win, your, you have 90 seconds when you stand up to grab the listener's attention. Okay, we in a world where people are distracted by Facebook, by Twitter, by Snapchat, right there in church. You're nervous and your knees are shaking hands, as they would say, right? And you're preaching your heart out and they are totally distracted. But so you've got to grab their attention and wrestle it to the ground. You know how they do, um, you know, they, you have these Western shows where they, you know, lasso the calf. You got to get that calf and tie those feet. Come on, somebody say, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You need the hook right up front. Okay. If you don't win your congregation's attention in the first few seconds, you won't likely have it later. So the first few words need painstaking thought and development. Introduction is very important. And God's going to give you how to introduce the message. Okay, ideas for sermon introduction. You can tell a story. It needs to be short. Okay? And what you can do, you can tell the first part of the story, like uh, Elder Maddox did yesterday, but when he was in the military, he told the first part, or his father's car, and then 
You know, it's like TV. Tune in on Monday for another exciting episode. You know, you can do that. Again, we're humans. There's a way to attract. Jesus was a psychologist. He knew exactly how to do it. We've got to learn these, these, these things. Ask a powerful question. If God is so good, why is there evil in the world? You think people want to know why there's evil in the world? Yes, they do. Making an intriguing statement or share a startling fact or statistic. Introduce some humor. Uh, I got to share this one with you. I know my time is going, but I got to share this one. <clears throat> a lady was getting married, and she asked the, um, yeah, she asked the, um, the caterer to make a nice cake. And on the cake, she wanted the words from 1 John 4, 18, which says, There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. That's a nice text for a bride, isn't it? Okay? So, just before the wedding, the caterer called back. Are you sure you want that text on your cake? Yeah, make the cake. That's the text I want. So, on, after the wedding, the bride and the groom, they walked up to the cake, getting ready to cut. There was a text on the cake, all right. Not 1 John 4, verse 18, but John 4, 18, which says, For you have had five husbands. <laughs> And the one you whom you now have is not your own. Mercy, Lord. <laughs> Isn't that something? Now, you tell me. Those folk, okay, let me hear the rest of this sermon. Now, it's clean humor, amen? Clean humor. So, again, different ideas to introduce a sermon. Read a curious text. Um, living with a brawling woman, you know, it's better to be outside, all those kinds of things. All right. Uh, but here's the, after the introduction. Well, sometimes before the person preaches, they spend a lot of time talking about potluck and work B. That's the sacred moment. In fact, the worship is building up tension to the preaching moment. See? And in John 12, 20, we find God's instruction and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip and desired him, saying what? We would see whom? When you stand up to speak, your purpose is to introduce Jesus. For there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That is the prescription for a hurting wife, a disaffected husband, a child who has run away from home. Jesus See, so when we stand up to speak, we want God to speak through us. You see, and it all builds together, starting from the topic and the introduction. All right. Now, after you've done the, your topic and your introduction, okay, and again, prayerfully craft. That's why you can't do this on Friday night. Amen, somebody? We call those in, in, uh, in seminary Friday night specials. <laughs> Don't go over too well. <clears throat> then you start developing the body. Identify main points from the main text. Remember that main text that you chose? Lord, now this is a text. They have different types of sermon. This is a textual sermon. For me, I appreciate getting one text and milking that. You know, I used to, we used to rear goats. Anybody here? And when you rear goats, you've got to milk the goat. To make porridge, yeah, and you got to know how to milk every drop of milk from those others. Come on, somebody, <laughs> you take the text um, now. From the text, your approach needs to be exegetical, X, which means out. Your, your points need to come out of that text. You know, some people will have a text, and the text is like a plank at the pool, they jump off and they never get back on. If you choose a text, a main text, and you have your supporting text, you need to stay with that text. You need to milk that text. When the people read that text from now on, guess what? They'll never see it again. Uh, see it the same again. Okay? So it needs to be exegetical. I'm going to, Lord, show me what to pull out from this text. It needs to be sequential. It needs to flow in an orderly way. From point one to point two to point three. You're leading them somewhere. Thirdly, it needs to be consequential. It needs to be unforgettable. Now, most of us, we forget the sermons that we have heard. But in that moment, 
God knew the people needed something for that week, and your sermon is it. Okay? Consequential. And then it must be existential. It needs to speak into their reality. So it can't be what Moses did back 3,000 years ago. You can start there, but you need to move it up to how God wants me to live in 2018. That's why it's existential. All right, watching the time. Now, the next step after you choose the text and you start identifying points, you know, uh, for me, you know, I like points because they're easy, easier to remember, okay? Lord, give me three or four points from the sermon because people's attention, you know, wonder. Then your next step now will be to unfold those points and then make application. <clears throat> How do you do it? You read the passage of the text from which the main point comes. Then you explain that passage. What does that mean? Okay. Then you illustrate. Every major point should have an illustration. Okay. All right. Title of the sermon. Jesus is the way. Point number one. Jesus is the main way. How is Jesus the main way? Well, the Bible says that there's no other name given among men. We must be saved. So that's the only way. You know, so you've got to have some illustrations, some examples, some anecdotes to illustrate your main point, to make it clear to your people so that they can understand. Okay? And then you need to apply it to their lives. Okay, what does this mean to me? I'm sitting here. I'm a single mother at home. I've got three kids. You know, no husband, no job. What does this text mean to me? And then after you've done all that now, you need to transition to your next point. Nice and smooth. Amen. Amen. So even though you have three points, you're not preaching three sermons. It's one point with three steps. It's like you're climbing Jacob's ladder. Okay, when they get to the top, they need to see what Jacob saw. Huh? I see heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending. All right? Okay? And then after the body, with the major points and the support and the application, then you need to have a convicting conclusion. You offer a summary of the sermon and you make an appeal. Every sermon must have an appeal. It's a call to action. Otherwise, you would have wasted your time. I remember when I graduated from uh, high school, I had a summer job selling ice cream in New York City. You know, that barrel with the umbrella. I'm wheeling around, you know, cookies and cream, you know, van vanilla, chocolate, whatever. Oh, it's creamy, it's tasty, there's M&Ms in it. Okay, all right, now you can walk away. No, I want them to buy. Come on, somebody, say amen. <laughs> After you preach, you want the people to take that sandwich that ice cream sandwich home with them amen and to eat it all week long until next sabbath mm -hmm. so when you preach your sermon is like that ice cream i want you to take this thing home so the question is what are you going to do are you going to take it home how many do you need i need three hmm? you get three i'll throw in one extra come on somebody say amen <laughs> and then you pray for those who responded and those who did not you got to pray for those who did not. All right. Okay, here are some sample outlines. Time is getting away from me. Okay, and these are some examples. Okay, for example, Luke. And this was done by a student, uh, by uh, uh, Dr. Sanger. The prodigal son. Three points. And this is more or less a, a narrative uh, type of sermon. Sick of home. Homesick. And home again. Come on, somebody say amen. See, you can have a text for sick of home. Father, give me my share. Okay? He takes the money and he goes into a far country. Then he's homesick. He's in the pig pen now. Then you illustrate that. And you make an application. And then finally, I must arise and go to my father. Come on. Now, you think the folks won't understand the sermon? All right. Another one. The woman taken in the act of adultery in John 8, her condemnation, she was taken in the very act. Which woman do you know wants to be caught in an adulterous affair? And they pulled her out naked and brought her to Jesus. Her condemnation, their frustration, Lord, Moses says that you need to what? Stone her. 
but he's not stoning her. He's stooping down to write. And then his solution, neither do I condemn thee. Huh? That's a sermon right there. Mm-hmm. Now, anybody here could preach the sermon? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, here's a character sermon by another student at seminary on the character uh, Peter and John. Okay, two fishermen. Subpoints, a light good and a light bad. Lord, burn up this city. These folk don't want to receive you. Burn up this town. Second point, two fiery fishermen, sons of thunder and sons of blunder. Mercy. You're going to remember that, aren't you? Point three, two firemen on fire. John loving, he's the apostle of love, and Peter leading. Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Can anybody preach this? It takes time. You're not always going to see it, but it's in the text. All right. Now, here is, here is one. We don't have a lot of time, but we're going to walk through this. Uh, James 1, 12 to 15. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Okay, if God has led me to this, think of some points. Take a moment. Take a look at this. Again, I wish I had time to do some activity for you to sit down together and say, okay, I see point number one. I see point number two. I see point number three. Does anyone see any, any points from this, from this passage? Okay? Yeah. I see it sometimes with te- uh, temptation. I said that the blessing mm-hmm. that's pronounced upon the individual mm-hmm. who endure. Okay. All right. Okay. That's one, that's one point. Okay. It's a blessing. Okay. Good. Anyone else? <clears throat> the journey from tempt. temptation uh-huh. to death. Mercy, Lord. <laughs> yes. Perry. God does not tempt. God does not tempt. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's another point. Anybody else? Another point. Resistance. Deceived. Hmm. All right, let me ask you this. Any keywords here that you would want to research? Hmm, I don't understand this. Huh? Temptation. Okay, what really is temptation? Anybody else? Endurance. Endurance. Oh, yes. Enticed. Uh, Conceived. Conceived. Yeah, you can just pick out those words. What do these words mean? Because I'm going to... In the points, i got to unpack it for my people. All right. All right. Well, let's do this together. My time is almost up. Okay. I'm going to entitle it Steps to Resist Temptation. You may call it whatever you want. Purpose, to enlighten the congregation on specific issues that lead to deadly temptation and how to avoid it. It's just an example. Your purpose might be different. Aim, at the end of the sermon, I will invite the congregation at the conclusion to take the necessary steps to resist temptation. Okay, you're crafting, you're building. All right, introduction. I'll tell a story. Perhaps when I was tempted. Jesus was tempted. It's okay for you to share a story about when you were tempted, amen? In fact, one of the most important things for a preacher is to be authentic. I failed. I've made mistakes. You tell a story. Now, make sure it's not a gory story, you know, (laughs) <laughs> and then after you've done your, tra- your introduction you need to have a transition into your main points okay what are, what are some things Christians should consider in understanding temptation and how to avoid it that will be my transition statement after I've done my, my you have my topic you got my aim okay here's my transitional statement now into my major points what are some things Christians should consider in understanding temptation and how to avoid it Okay, body, point number one. Let's consider the source of the temptation. That's my, uh, my first point. And it comes from this, this part of the passage. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Can you preach the source of temptation from this? 
Oh yeah. Huh? Yeah, that's right. And in this day and age, the other man. Have mercy, Lord Jesus. Yeah. So we see the source. Now explain what does the text. This text now supports this point. So I need to ex explain this in light of the point. The source. So I'm looking for the sources. What are the sources? My own lust. Your own lust. Hmm? And entice. But guess what? The source is not, not God. Amen. Man, God just brought this nice woman in front of me. Really? Huh? You put yourself there. Yeah, you should have been at work. What are you doing at the mall? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay? Then you have an illustration about the source. You know? And then... How should I live in light of the, the text and the meaning? So you need to apply. Uh, I make application about the source. Okay, time is almost up. Point number two, consider the steps. So number one is the source. Consider the steps. I'm using S now. Okay. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Can you see the steps in this text? Again, you use the text to support your point. The step towards temptation. You need to be where you are supposed to be. Amen? You need to get off Facebook. Come on, somebody. Get off Twitter. I'm speaking to the current age. Now, if I were preaching this in the time of Christ, I would say, stay away from the well at noon. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Making it relevant. <laughs> and then after you do the point, you transition to your next points. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.